So today we're going to jump back into our series on Jesus. This is season six. We've uh, gone through five other seasons, and this is episode three on Jesus the series. Have, how many have ever panicked? Just go ahead and raise your hand if you've ever panicked before, right? That's me. I've done that before. When I was a teenager, though, there was an especially uh, time that I remember where we panicked a lot. I was on a fishing trip with my brothers, and we were driving up a mountain. This is in Pennsylvania. We were headed out for the opening day of trout season, and we we're going to camp there and, and you know, go out real early in the morning. And along the way, we saw a turtle on the side of the road. So we thought we'd get real funny and real cute, and we got the turtle, put it in a box because we were going to go and put that in someone's sleeping bag that night and uh, just see what happened, see how loud they screamed and all that kind of stuff with this turtle moving around in their, in their sleeping bag. So we scooped up the turtle, put it in a box, put it in the back seat, and started driving up this long, steep road up a mountain. Suddenly, I look over at my brother. This is a little like Dodge uh, Omni, I think it was what it was called, a real tiny little car. And all of a sudden, he's going way too fast around these curves. And he's kind of swerving around a little bit, and he's starting to panic. And he says, the brakes won't work. And while he's trying to stay on the road around these curves, I look down and see that that turtle had gotten under the brake pedal and had made it to where we couldn't stop. We're all freaking out and we're all scared and we realize that this prank has gone sideways and we've been pranked. And he was able to kind of steer it up a mountain, uh, kind of up a steep road and put it in neutral and be able to just get to a place where we could stop. Obviously, we let that turtle go. He had held us hostage and he was not the type of turtle you want to mess with. So we went on our way. But it's hard to think, right, when we panic. We freeze up and forget the basic things we know. I worked at Sears Automotives in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they would do brake jobs, and we'd sell tires and all the different types of stuff. I was a service rider. I'd try and sell those different things. And uh, there was one day that I got in a car to back it up to give it to a customer, and, and there wasn't a turtle involved in this one, but the brakes wouldn't work. And the person that had done the brake job had forgot to bleed the brakes, and I ran it into a wall. <laughs> and it was a, that was a rough day. And they told me, well, why didn't you just put it back into park or put it into neutral? I was like, I freaked out. I didn't know what to do. The brakes wouldn't work. And when we panic, sometimes it's hard to remember basic things that we know. We see here in the scripture today in Mark chapter 4, there was one day when the disciples panicked while they were on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. Now, boat panic is a particularly unique type of panic because you can't run anywhere, right? You're trapped. Verse 35, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus is speaking here, he said, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? 
And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? See, Jesus was, uh, had a great crowd following him and, and people were listening to him preach. And he decided it's time to cross this big body of water known as the Sea of Galilee. But it's kind of funny about that is it's actually not a sea. It's the largest freshwater lake in Israel. But they jumped in a boat, which is most likely a fishing boat. And several of these uh, Jesus' disciples were fishermen, so they were not inexperienced with how to sail a, bro- a boat across this water. In 1986, they actually found a fishing boat dated around the time of Jesus' life. It was found buried at the Sea of Galilee. It was about 27 feet long. I think we've got a picture. Yeah, there we go. That's the remains of it. Uh, and then here's a picture of what it might have looked like as a, you know, a recreation. That gives you an idea of what type of boat we're probably looking at. But Jesus is most likely exhausted, right? He's been speaking and interacting with people and traveling, and he lays down in the bottom of a boat and falls asleep on a cushion. It once again emphasizes the humanity of Christ. He was tired. He was hungry. He felt pain. But as Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of this boat, a great storm kicks up. Now, the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level, and it's also surrounded by mountains. So windstorms are things that happen fairly frequently. In fact, even today, there are signs on the beach not to park too close to the water because just in a minute, the water can get wild and your car could get swamped. But even for the Sea of Galilee, the storm was bad. And the boat was filling with water and it's splashing over the sides. I have a, a kayak. And even in something like that, when, when a large boat goes by on a lake, it can get kind of unnerving uh, with the water splashing up over you. That could be a scary situation. I can't imagine what this might have been like. Now, notice that they were in the middle of God's will here. Right? Jesus had told them to go to the other side, but the storm still came. So they do what they can to settle the ship, but nothing's working. And they rush to Jesus, and he's fast asleep. And in this moment, they don't believe that Jesus cares about them. They feel forgotten. They feel alone. But if they had listened to Jesus along the way, they would have known that Jesus' mission didn't end with him dying in a shipwreck. In fact, he had just told them, we're going to the other side. But the boat's filling with water and logic goes out the window as panic sets in. And they shake Jesus awake and they shout at him and say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And this is where they kind of cross the line, right? It's one thing to be scared and worried and anxious because you're going through a storm. But it's a whole other conversation to question the goodness and love of Jesus because you're going through something hard. But Jesus wasn't surprised. He led them to this place to show them something. Now, when I've seen this event recreated in like a movie form, Jesus you know, dramatically stands up and stretches his arms out and shouts with a loud, deep voice. And he's probably like a pretty, you know, Caucasian looking Jesus too, which is kind of weird. But he stretches his arms out 
says, Peace! Be still! Jesus wasn't a wizard, right? He doesn't need a spell. He doesn't need a magic wand. Jesus could have just as easily, uh, you know, just silenced this storm like I silenced my alarm on Saturday morning. Snooze. But Jesus rises and he awoke. He, he said, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves, they stop on a dime. The winds and the waves calmed even when the disciples wouldn't. And Jesus looks at these men that followed him for months and says, where is your faith? You know me. You know that I have power. You've seen me heal people of leprosy. You've seen me raise people from the dead. You know me. Why are you so scared? But the disciples are still stunned. The two other gospels that talk about this say they marveled at Jesus and they looked at each other and they say, who is this guy? This is an unbelievable story, right? Think about this miracle of controlling nature. But if you think about it, the real miracle is in the incarnation, right? If God, the creator of the universe, became a man, then everything else is easy to accept. The disciples, though, didn't understand who was in the boat with them. But the storm revealed more about who God was And we see that same thing happen in our lives as well. They didn't realize fully who was in their boat, but they were about to find out. The disciples had panicked, just like a turtle being under your brake pedal. Their minds were racing. They couldn't think straight. They forgot things that they knew. I want to bring three things for when we panic from this story. And the first one is this. It's okay to have questions for God, but it's not okay to question God's goodness, his love, or his character. When we get scared, when we become afraid, we forget things that we know to be true. And God welcomes your questions. God, what is happening? God, can you help me? God, are you listening? God can handle your questions. But we need to be careful when we cross that line into God why don't you love me? Why aren't you a loving God? God, if you are good, why are you doing this to me? Questions are okay. Accusations are not. Romans 9.20 says this. It says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? And the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's a very unwise thing to offend a holy and a just God. But it's okay not to know. And it's okay to have questions. God welcomes that. He doesn't want you to stop asking your questions. He wants you to bring your questions to him. James 1.5 goes as far to say, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the waves of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. If you have questions in a storm, God wants to answer them for you. That might not happen right uh, right away. And you might feel like he's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. But whatever you need in the storm, he has it. 
But don't doubt his love. Don't doubt his goodness. That's a storm of confusion inside of you that you don't want any part of. Now, keep in mind, again, though, that these weren't unbelievers, right? These were guys that had been with Jesus through thick and thin. And they still here, though, accused Jesus of not caring. They knew him. Now, Jesus didn't strike them dead for doubting his care for them. He rebuked them. He set them straight. He said, hey, scaredy cats, you still don't have faith? Did you forget who I am? I've got this. And in fits of emotion, we all can cross that line. But God is merciful to remind us who he is. It's okay to have questions. But it's not okay to accuse God of something that he is not. And it's always wise to remember that if God brought you to a storm, he will bring you through that storm. Now, if you're in a storm because you're running from God like Jonah... That's a different story, right? In that situation, leave your disobedience and sin behind and run to Jesus. But when you're doing your best to follow God and the storms still come, have faith. Remember his love. Remember what he has done for you. Remember his goodness. Have gratitude. Don't forget who he is. And that's the second truth for when we panic. Even when we forget who he is. He wants to remind you. And when you're tempted to look at the storm and become overwhelmed and panic, instead, don't look at how big the storm is. Look at how big your God is. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. So when you're scared, take your problems to him, the one that can do something about it. Remember the Lord. Remember who is in control. Psalms 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Remember who gave you breath and life and every good thing that you have ever experienced. Now the disciples got to see Jesus do miracles with their own eyes. And instead, we have to rely on faith. But God has shown you his working too. You have seen the Lord work in your life as well. Don't forget. Maybe that means literally sitting down and writing down the times the Lord has brought you through the storm before. We're so quick to forget. Maybe it was the storm in your marriage when things looked like they were over. Maybe it's the storm in your finances when the creditors wouldn't quit calling. Maybe it's the storm of pornography or addiction where you brought the consequences on yourself and you felt so alone, but the Lord scooped you up and picked you up out of that. And when we panic, it's so easy to forget who is in the storm with us. Remember. And that brings us to the third truth, to remember when we panic in the storm. And that's this, to calm yourself by remembering the one who can calm the storm. I know it doesn't feel like it, but there's always a blessing in the storm. Now, not everything that happens to you is God's will for your life. If you were abused and someone hurts you, that was their choice to sin. Sin has ruined everything and God weeps with you. But even in the face of that evil, God can still pull beauty from the ashes. 
And in every storm, there's a chance to focus and there's a chance to remember that you're not in control and there's a chance to lean on Jesus and you get to learn more about the character of God and who he is. And when you come out on the other side of that storm, you get to marvel at the things that God has shown you in the storm. Nobody wants to go through it. And sometimes sin, we bring it on ourselves, and sometimes the sin of others bring a storm into our lives, but God can still pull good out of those bad situations. And maybe you're having trouble right now remembering God working in your life. Run to the truth of Scripture and remind yourself who is in the boat with you, that God is love and all his ways are just, and that God never lies and God is good and full of mercy. And stand back. And marvel at who God is. And you will experience the peace that passes all understanding. And one day you might just look around and realize that the winds and the waves are at peace again. And this isn't always easy. right? It's hard to remember. The people of Israel constantly forgot what God had done for them. He had brought them out of Egypt with those 12 miracles. He parted the Red Sea. He fed them with manna in the wilderness. He led them with a pillar of fire and a cloud. He gave them water from a rock. And yet when they encountered some big humans in the way of what God wanted them to do, they forgot how big their God was and they ran away. And we too are forgetful people because we've panicked. And we forget who is with us. Remember who is in the boat with you. First Chronicles 16, 12 says, Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments that he uttered. Psalm 77, 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. The Bible as a story, can be wrapped up in this one phrase, God's relentless pursuit of his people. God has not left you. He has not forsaken you. And even when it seems like he is sleeping and he isn't working, you've got to remember who is in the boat with you. Maybe you're panicking right now because you're in the middle of the storm and the boat is filling with water. There's a turtle under your brake pedal. Anxiety, fear, depression are crashing over you. Take your problems to the one that can do something about it. Remember the Lord. Remember who is with you. Now, if that's a, a, a clinical problem and you need to go to doctors, and that's, that's awesome as well, but don't ever forget who is in the boat with you. It's okay to have questions for God, but it's not okay to question God's goodness, his love, or his character. But even when you forget who he is, he wants to remind you. Calm yourself by remembering the one who calmed the storm. Maybe you're having that trouble remembering where God has helped you out in the storm before because your mind is just so full of fear. This is a great time to head to his word and to see how God brought the Hebrew boys through the fiery furnace and that he was with David as he stood against Goliath. He was with the leper with no hope, the blind that couldn't see, the mother with the dead child. 
Remember the Lord in your storm. And don't worship the storm. Worship the God that can calm the storm. Have faith and accept the peace that he's holding out to you. It's found when we remember, remember, and marvel at who he is. As the band comes, every head's bowed and eyes closed. Maybe that's you this morning. It's not weird. It's not strange to have times when you panic. This life is hard. Maybe I you know, didn't mention the specific storm that you're going through. Each of us are different. We've got different situations. And... But you know it. You know the situation. You know the thing that you're going through. We don't normally do this, but I, I want to pray over you right now. With every head bowed, eyes closed, you say, that's me, Pastor Phil. Just slip your hand up. Say, I'm in the storm this morning. Just have that boldness to admit that. Just lift your hand up. Say, that's me. I'm in a storm right now. I see those hands. Anyone else? Say, that's me. I need help. I'm in the storm right now. Help me to remember. Amen. Dear Jesus, I pray for each and every one of those people. God, maybe even a person that's too... Too scared to admit that they're struggling. Maybe it's a storm that's lasted a decade. God, I pray you remind them right now in this moment that you are with them and that you can handle it and that you can bring peace when the waves are crashing all around us. And I pray you just bring a supernatural peace into each one of those hearts. And that they would just become so close to you. God, draw them to your word. Draw them to times of prayer to strengthen them. Times of singing and lifting up their voice. God, I pray that you would do something big in each and every one of those lives. Maybe you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're yet a follower of Jesus. In this boat, these were the disciples. These were people that were believers. And that's an important distinction because each and every one of us is born into sin. And that's a serious thing. Sin is simply everything we think, say, and do that breaks God's law. We're all sinners. The Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. It goes as far to say that the wages of our sin is death. What we earn for our sin is a separation from God forever. But Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. See, 2,000 years ago, God was born in the flesh. His name was Jesus. 
And he walked this earth for 33 years. He lived a perfect and a holy life so that an innocent person could die for all of us guilty people. And that's what he did. Jesus Christ laid down his life on a cross so that he could take on all of our sin and every wrong thing that I had ever done and pay the price. And then on the third day, he rose again from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. Someone that's a follower of Jesus, someone that's been saved and repented of their sin, that's the first step. It's not church membership. It's not baptism. Those things are important. But what comes first is a repentance and a believing and putting your faith on Jesus Christ. And you can do that today once and for all. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's simple, not necessarily easy. Because you put all the faith that you used to have on your good works, your personality and your accomplishments, and you say, God, I realize that that's not it. And I put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross. I say, only means to salvation to have a relationship with, with you, God, my maker. You can call out to God right now. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It's about repentance. That simply means to turn around. I'm taking all my faith that I had in all my accomplishments and all my good deeds, and I'm saying that's not it, and I'm putting my faith in what Jesus did on the cross as the only means of salvation. You can call out to God with something like this. Once again, the words aren't magic words. It's about what's going on in your heart right now. You could call out and say, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin, I deserve hell. God, forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. And I'm turning to you. I put my faith in what you did on the cross to save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way or call you up on the stage or anything like that. If you made that choice, that's a big deal. That's a moment in your life where you accepted Christ as your Savior. And I don't want you to walk through that alone. If you made that choice today, if you'd write that on your connection card, I chose Jesus, and give me an email address or some way to contact you, I personally want to reach out to you and talk to you about what's next. That's a huge deal. Tell somebody. Dear God, we love you. God, I pray that as we continue to worship you, that you would be honored in all that we say and do. As we head into this time of communion, I pray that you would remind us of the gift of the cross. And if we can't think of anything else that you've ever done for us, help us to remember what you did on the cross that we don't have to face punishment for our sin and instead we get your righteousness and we stand innocent before you and there's no condemnation god thank you for that today whatever storm we're in god remind us in this time of communion that we are not alone in your name we pray amen